Mindfulness Mode 110. We don't recognize how it infiltrates the way we see other human beings. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, do you want to share mindfulness with your children? It can be so much fun for both of you. I have a free ebook I've written called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child Every Day for 7 Minutes. Download it at mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways. Enter your name and email and you'll have it in no time. That's mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Angus Nelson on the line today. Hey, Angus, are you in mindfulness mode? I absolutely am, Bruce. Thanks. <laughs> That's great. Angus Nelson is a speaker, a coach, and facilitator and works with executives of the world's largest companies. He's spoken at corporate headquarters for Walmart, Whole Foods, Coke, Adobe, and Swisscom. He's also the annual MC of the ATEC conference in Aruba. His podcast, the Up In Your Business podcast, was recognized as a top 20 business podcast of 2015 in Inc.com. His book, Love's Compass, How Do You Recover After a Lost Relationship, earned him most promising new writer in 2010. So, Angus, tell us, what does mindfulness mean to you? Um, gosh, that was a mouthful, huh? <laughs> so, okay. Um, mindfulness to me... I think is applying um, a conscious and present intentional thoughtfulness to your life. That's a good way to describe it. I don't think it's much more difficult than that. And I think some people even try to make it too difficult to make it kind of, you know, woo-woo. And yeah. So how do you accomplish this in your life, Angus? Well, um, you know, for me, um, I had to learn it the hard way. Um, I didn't have a practitioner or someone that pulled me aside to show me a mentor. I didn't have anything like that. Mm -hmm. What I had was brokenness. I had a company I was running uh, back in about 2000, 2001, 2002, and um, I became an, a workaholic, and I was wrapped up in my own narcissism and arrogance, and um, I thought that I could fix problems by working harder. Mm. Isn't that the way we do it? We just yep. – we just got to show more effort and strive even more and a hustle. And I was working 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks. And I found underneath the load of that, I started to cope. And my um, coping mechanism of choice started off with pornography. Mm. And from that addiction, I turned to alcohol. And then from alcohol, I combined the two to promiscuity. So through the course of all that, I lost a business, I lost a marriage, I lost my vision for life. And I spent the next three years with a counselor, reading numerous books, attending numbers of conferences, trying to get my head screwed on straight um, because I felt like I was an absolute failure. Um, I had a model of being such a ideal human being. I had won a volunteer of the year in my hometown. Like I had this great pedigree mm -hmm. and now I've, I'm anything but. Mm, that must have been tough. Let's talk about the porn part because you know what? This is a topic that a lot of people don't talk about and we need to. I think it's just such a major problem out there. How can you 
how can you get off of this if you get connected and you think, you know, this is just, I don't know, you, you're not even thinking about it. It's, it's mindless. You're, you're, doing, you're doing this. You're looking at porn. How do you get away from it? Um, I think there's a number of elements, but each one is individual to each person. So I don't think there's like a blanket silver bullet that fixes it for everybody. But there are some common traits. One is um, there are so many people who talk about pornography like it's nothing. Mm. And so we think it's no big deal and we don't recognize the fact that it's robbing us of our strength, our self-worth. We, we don't recognize how it infiltrates the way we see other human beings and how we degrade them to our own pleasure system. We don't, we don't connect those dots. Uh, furthermore, we also don't understand that pornography, A, it sucks tons of our time, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then it sucks our emotion. Um, but then furthermore is that critical component is that mental element. And when you're involved in pornography, um, most of us don't talk about it. So mm-hmm. it's something that sits in the shadows and the darkness. And anything in our creation that sits in the darkness festers. And what starts off as maybe something a little more innocent, um, playful, like a playboy, then becomes more corrupt and more dark and more uh, specific the longer you stay in it. And before you know it, you're into, you know, hairy midgets, you know, or something, you know, just Mm. something just completely crazy because that darkness can only fester, only grow in light of more of the same. And so we get more and more... um, deeper and dirtier and um, entangled with fantasy. So is the first step understanding and believing how it actually does rob us of our strength and self-worth? Actually, you want to know what the first step is? What is? What is it? Bring it into the light is talk to somebody. You don't have to know why it is. You don't have to know how it affects you. What you do need to know is that if you want it to stop, you have to tell somebody. Like once you bring that stuff into the light and you can finally get to a point where you can talk about it openly, it becomes to a a place of owning your own frailty, owning your own uh, brokenness. And from there, you can start putting pieces in place that can counteract that depravity. Um, and, you know, everybody's got different opinions and everybody wants to be politically correct. All I know is I have a young daughter who's been um, treated very poorly because of young men who are addicted to porn. Mm. She has gone through some junk relationships that because she's my daughter, I'm not going to go into detail. Sure. Um, I can just tell you it's pain. And the way that young men have spoken to my daughter makes me want to put it my fist right through their face, right? Mm. But at the same time, I can't because I know that they're a victim of their own demise. They don't recognize what they've been feeding their head, which makes them feel it's okay for them to talk to my daughter that way. No way. Right, exactly. And it's such a different world because you can just instantly click and see porn. And so then I think that in itself tells people that, you know, it's so easily accessible, so why not, you know? And and then when you really think about what you've said, you know, how it does rob us of our strength, robs us of our self-worth, and it just grabs our emotions. And yet, 
once we get used to doing it, then maybe we don't even think about those aspects of it. Not at all. I'll just say this, but there's also physical elements of that to yourself and your own self-pleasuring that you now start to experience things that you could never experience with a partner. And then that becomes even more aggravating and more frustrating. I mean, it just perpetuates, right? And doesn't it suck the energy out of your relationship with a partner? I mean, that's, the, that's it all together. Yeah, I mean, that's what I think too. It's, it's taking out the pleasure, the physical pleasure. It takes out the emotional pleasure because it's all about me. Right. It's all about satisfying my needs. And, you know, when you really stand back and you look at this stuff, the stuff, the camera angles and the positions and how the whole thing's all orchestrated, you know, it's all very calculated and none of it's natural. No. None of it. You know, you're getting these camera angles. That's why people are in the positions they're at. Right. Not because it's comfortable, not because it's <laughs> pleasurable. It's ridiculous. Right. And, and really, like anything, isn't it really money behind most of it? Absolutely. I mean, and obviously. It becomes comical because then you also realize that it's such sheer manipulation. Right. Like, I am allowing someone to have control over my time and my emotion and my life. And when you see it from that, you can start to reach back and try and claim your power back and make different decisions. Like for me, I've been, you know, um, dealing with all this stuff since 2003, mm-hmm. right? So that's when I, everything kind of came clean. I still have filters on my computer. Here we are 13 years later. Mm-hmm. I still have accountability with my wife. Um, all of my instant messages, my... Um, I mean, any communication that I have um, can be seen on her iPhone. Mm. Like, I don't keep anything hidden. Um, I don't have any passwords that she doesn't have. Um, I have been as open and transparent so that when I have something come up where there's, um, you know, something graphic or something. And again, you know, it's not even intentional most of the time. Mm -hmm. We have open dialogue, open conversation. And especially when I see something where it causes her pain, that, that creates amazing accountability because for me, the number one thing that is now my focus in relationships is to make sure that my partner feels safe. Right, right. And that's true for me too. I want my partner to feel safe and I want to be a great role model for my son. How do you explain it to a nine-year-old? How do you explain to them that this is not acceptable, that this is not healthy, that this is not okay? We, we've started with um, our kids since they were small. So um, our 21-year-old, I didn't get that opportunity because um, that, that was a product of my wife's former marriage. So mm-hmm. I came into her life when she was nine. So I missed a lot of those formative years. Right. I've tried my best you know, to earn my right of daddy with her. And if you asked her, she would tell you I was daddy. Um, but then we had two more children who are now seven and six. Mm-hmm. My seven-year-old's a daughter. My six-year-old is a son. And my son will see someone on TV or um, someone at the swimming pool, and she will turn and ask me, Daddy, is that, is that appropriate what she's wearing? Mm. Because I have him conscious of the fact that we, men, malehood, is motivated by sight. And so I'm trying to teach him that be careful what you see. Because it will impact how you live. And connected to that, and this goes into you um, and your show, you know, mindfulness. Mm -hmm. 
I read a book when I was going through My Darkness, the first book that I really kind of started to embrace how I thought. So I read this book by a guy named John Eldritch. It's called Wild at Heart. And the elements of this book, they're, they're faith-based, but there's just some incredible great stuff inside of it. And the number one question that he says that every male, and I also believe females str- struggle with this too, but specifically males, the question is, do I have what it takes? And so since my son has been cognitive and can understand words, I've told him the same thing every night I put him to bed. And that is, I love you, I'm proud of you, and I believe in you. And then the last thing is, you have what it takes. Tell daddy why. And so I have him rehearse telling me why. It's because I'm kind, it's because I'm generous, because I don't quit, it's because I persevere, it's because um, I love people. And, he, and he'll, you know, each time it'll be something more creative. With my daughter, I, ha- I tell her the first three things. I love you, I'm proud of you, I believe in you. And then for her, I tell her, you're beautiful, now tell daddy why. And she'll say, because I'm smart, because I'm creative, because I share, because I'm generous, et cetera, et cetera. And what I want my children to know is that their value is not in how they appear. Their value is something internal. And with my son connecting with a belief that he is able, that he is capable, to me that is raising a young man that isn't influenced by the things around him, but rather he influences it. And he becomes an interplay with the world to where he can assert himself during the times that he needs to. And during other times, he can be humble, and he can be kind, and he can become generous. And to me, I'm trying to raise children that are mindful. So when you add this complexity of pornography, my kids see that from a different lens. But it's because I've been super intentional to train them on what's appropriate and what's acceptable. And I've taught my daughter, some of those ladies that are wearing the clothes they're wearing is because they don't necessarily have confidence in who they are as a person. And so we were walking through a toy store. This is now going back like two years or so. Mm-hmm. And she saw Barbie on the shelf and she said, poor Barbie. And I said, well, why is that, <laughs> why is that honey? And she said, she only thinks she's pretty on the outside. <laughs> wow. That's yeah. when you know you've made yeah. strides. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is really incredible, Angus. All of this is super intentional. And our culture does not connect the dots on these elements. No, no, they our, don't. We, we don't understand, you know, there's threat and opportunity, right? Mm-hmm. We see things that are talking about... Um, brokenness, um, uh, vulnerability, humility, transparency. Like we see those things and we, f- we find those things threatening because they make us look weak or we think they may, might make us embarrassed or what would other people think of us? And to me, those are the very elements that drove me into the dirt. All those motivations ruined my life. Mm. And when I turned that around and I saw that those things actually empowered me, that now when they came out in the open, nobody could say anything that could hurt me anymore. You want to talk about my porn? You want to talk about my divorce? You want to talk about my failure? I'm open book. Anything and everything you want to know. And obviously, I'm wise. I don't share that with everybody. I don't mm-hmm. wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm not right. going to be that guy. Right. Hey, welcome to Debbie Downer. Not that guy, right? Yeah. I want to be in a place where I become empowered in light of my weakness, right? 
And it's this principle called pain and pleasure. The things we pursue to bring us pleasure typically end up bringing us pain. And the things we perceive will bring us pain typically bring us pleasure. When I have to own something I told my wife and I was embellishing a story or I, um, you know, I didn't, um, I lost my temper and I raised my voice or I said something that was cruel or thoughtless. When I stand up and I own that, in that moment, it's scary because now I'm going to look weak or I think I'm going to look like an idiot or whatever. Instead, what I want to do, my natural inclination is I'm just going to rise up. I'm going to double down. It's like, yeah, that's what I meant. You know, that's like our human <laughs> whatever drama series we watch on TV. That's what we've been programmed. You know what? That stuff's baloney. Instead, I was like, you know what? I am a total bozo. Um, I don't know what I was thinking, honey. I, I didn't make you feel safe. I said something that was really cruel. I hurt your feelings. Um, I was thoughtless. And quite frankly, I was a jerk. And I'm sorry. And I'm going to try not to be that guy anymore. And it is amazing the amount of clarity and the amount of, um, of communion that be, be created when two people can have that kind of an open dialogue. And yes, we're going to have to go through some transition. Yes, we're going to have to kind of work through some of that stuff when it hurts. Because, you know, it doesn't go away right away. But, oh my gosh, what a difference in a relationship when we can do the things that feel so scary in the moment. Absolutely. Well, you know, your your mention of pain and pleasure takes me to self-medication, which, of course, we do with alcohol sometimes and you really experience that it sounds like so how do we change our direction when we suddenly realize hey this you know we're just going off the rails here this is not working for me how do i back up and 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 uh kind of right myself so you know it goes back to what i said before like the first step in any of this is just telling someone right yeah um, I got a really good friend of mine and he was a mentor of mine. Mm-hmm. And so I was telling him all my stuff and I was working through all my things only to find out like a year later that he was going through some of my own stuff and worse. Oh, really? And he couldn't tell me. He couldn't bring himself to tell me. And when it all kind of came clean, he and his wife got separated and, you know, they're trying to work through all this stuff. Like he's taught, I'm, I'm like one of the only guys he can call and he's in tears and he's like, I lied to you this entire time. And he's bawling on the phone. Mm. And I said, are you kidding me? This is the best thing ever. I said, you're finally being you. And I started to speak affirmations into him. I said, you got this, bro. I said, this is the most liberating experience you will ever have. In the same way you witnessed me get stuff off my chest that only I could trust you with, I'm going to be that guy for you. And about 14 months later, he's been through a program. He's been getting help and counseling. And he and his wife started chatting again. Within 24 months, they're back together. And some of his life choices and career path that he was in, he got out of that into something else that would keep him a little bit more in line. He made the hard choices to keep his marriage and his kids together. Like to me, when we like, 
kind of take that scab and just rip it off, sometimes that's the best way for healing to come. And each person, again, it's different for every person. I don't recommend you know that for anyone. But I do say you have to find somebody safe to talk to. And if you don't have a friend or a partner or family member you can talk to, then go get a professional counselor or therapist who is um, by license, you know, supposed to keep quiet. Mm -hmm. Because once you start articulating the chaos in your head and in your heart and you start to hear your own words, things will begin to make sense. In addition, the reflection coming from that third party when they, you know, echo what you just said. So when you said this, is this what you meant? And you go, huh, well, that's a little ridiculous. And you realize you've been thinking along the wrong lines for a very long time. And most of us, all we know is what we know. And the most liberating thing for us is when we realize and embrace the things that we don't know. When we have the humility to open up our hands, like I I love giving this illustration, Bruce. If you put both your hands in front of you and you clinch them into fists, Mm -hmm. in order for me to offer you something, what do you have to do with your hands? Release them. You open your hands. Mm -hmm. It is the same way for personal development and growth and mindfulness. You have to let go of what you know in order to grasp something you don't know. Our level of humility to lay down all that we think is so valuable and and so frail and fragile, what we recognize is that there's a whole wealth of other things out there that are far greater, far enriching, far more empowering that if we would just give ourselves permission to embrace that, we would experience life on a whole new realm. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, you know, we've talked about porn, we've talked about alcohol. Let's talk about bullying because, you know, we, we're talking about mindset and I think sometimes we bully ourselves. Sometimes we've been bullied and then that results in us bullying ourselves. I've uh, worked in bullying prevention for some time. Do you have a story about bullying? Were you ever bullied, Angus? Well, yeah, um, uh, twice. Um, one was just kind of a passive thing, stupid kid thing when we were like fifth grade. Mm-hmm. And then two years later in seventh grade, I had this this guy who wanted me to push uh, a coin with my nose on the playground. Mm-hmm. It's lunchtime. And he started making a scene and he had another guy with him who was from my neighborhood. And I'm like, what are, you know, in my mind, I was so puzzled. Like, why would you be backing this guy? You're from my hood. Like, mm-hmm. you're from my neighborhood. Like, we mm-hmm. grew up together, bro. And... I didn't do anything to provoke this. I was just a passive, nice ki- I've always just been a nice kid, you know. Yeah. I was a little bit of a goofball, but, you know, I was always just a good kid. And this guy had my back up against the wall, and I just didn't want to create trouble because that just wasn't my nature. And he pounded me in the chest, and my eyes welled up with tears, and I wanted to come after him. And I, in my mind, I was picturing all the different ways I was going to do it. I had my foot against the wall. I was going to lurch right off that wall. I was going to hit him on the ground, just start swinging, you know, like that. I don't know. And instead, Mr. Johnson, 
the uh, the junior high gym teacher comes yeah. in, grabs both of us by the scruffs of our neck, yeah. drags us into the lunchroom, and just you know gives us the what's for. That yeah. kid got it more than me because he was a troublemaker. Two years later, that kid got arrested for bringing a gun to school, so I'm kind of glad I didn't disrupt him. Yeah. yeah. But I'm going to be honest with you, Bruce. I have rehearsed that scenario in my head almost once or twice a year ever since. Really? Yeah. I saw that moment in my life as such a moment of feeling like the victim. I felt powerless. Mm. And I was so angry and I was so puzzled and so confused. Like, why me? What, what would I do? I mean, I didn't know this kid. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. Like, I was, I was just an innocent standby. And he wanted to make a scene. Mm-hmm. I think we kind of do that to ourselves in the same way. When you look in the mirror, whatever trail of thought that you, goes through your mind, and it, it sometimes is very subconscious, mm-hmm. says to yourself that you don't like that person in the mirror for reason A, B, and C. And if you follow the lines of that continuum, we will go from why I don't like me, why my partner shouldn't like me, why my kids shouldn't like me, why my coworkers shouldn't like me, why should anyone like me? And you get to the end of that continuum, why would even God himself, the creator of the universe, like me? Mm. And we bully ourselves into sabotaging our own futures, which is why I believe we turn to addiction. We turn to coping. We turn to keeping ourselves occupied with music or sports or some other enterprise. We keep ourselves so busy and so distracted because we cannot deal with the silence of our own imagination. Yes. Yeah, I I think that's so true for many of us for sure. Angus, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Who's one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Just one? Um, okay, most recent, uh, Brene Brown. Ah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions, Angus? Uh, leveled them. No, Not so many highs, not so many lows. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Well, for me personally, um, I just keep breathing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. Right? right. Um, so for me, it's not really part of my practice, but I remember Wayne Dyer. That was definitely um, a strong piece in his practice. Um, but for me, um, yeah, I know that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but just what is it the little fish Dory used to say? And um, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. Oh, yeah. Just keep breathing. Don't let the stress pull you down. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness, what would that be? Gosh, I know this is probably um, not expected or not one people would typically bring up, but I'm going to go back to uh, Brene Brown, Daring Greatly. All right. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Uh, I've been playing around with Headspace. Mm-hmm. Um, great meditation. And especially if you've never done it before, I highly recommend it because they make it super easy. And the first ones are definitely nice, short, doable spurts. So speaking of never done it before, what advice would you give a person who is new to mindfulness and they'd like to start it in their life? 
Um, I think mindfulness has so many different perspectives depending on who you talk to and how they apply it. Um, like we said, you know, it can be from meditation. It can be from presence. Um, I know for me, um, one of the biggest things to do is to just get quiet um, and just live in the now. Most of us live our lives in light of the past or the future. So we live in the past in one of two things, either shame or victim mentality or something devastating happened and, and that holds us back. Uh, we become victim to that in our own mindset. So that becomes one prison. Or the good old days. We remember something significant about that time in the past and we always wish, wish what if we could just get back to that? That always holds us back from what's in front of us. Well, in front of us, we oftentimes look at different goals and things we want to accomplish, and we say, well, I'll be happy when, and it could be a home, it could be a job, it could be um, um, an income, it could be you know, the, the partner, the spouse. The thing is, anytime you have those goals, they just become a bottomless well because they never satisfy. The moment you get to one, you're looking for the next, and then the next, and then the next. In addition, you also find yourself looking from the left to the right to compare your progress according to the other people around you. And given that power of social media, it makes it even more complex and more debilitating because you're never going to be in a place where you feel like you're accomplishing. So I always like to say instead of looking at the past or looking at the future for happiness, happiness is actually in the present. In the present, you can find yourself going to a place of being grateful for the people that are in your lives, for the journey you've walked, for the impact you're making into the people around you. And you grow into intention. And from there, you start to apply yourselves to those relationships that are in your life. You start to apply yourselves to the work that you do or the good that you bring to the world. And in the same place... You also find yourself rolling into gratitude that becomes generosity. Wow, such powerful advice, Angus. You just, you just really, it rolls right off your tongue, this incredible wisdom, and I really appreciate it. Angus, it has been such a pleasure to spend this time talking with you today. I'm certainly inspired by what you've done. Tell us how Mindful Tribe can connect with you and learn more about what you do. Absolutely. You can come and find me on AngusNelson.com. If you want to find me on the Twitters, mm-hmm. it's just at Angus Nelson. It's A-N-G-U-S, just like the cattle and the beef, N-E-L-S-O-N. And um, also, I have an ebook I would love to share with your audience. Terrific. So one of the um, elements, there's two elements that I've discovered from a number of the thought leaders I've been interviewing and spending my time with in how they've been successful in their career. And one of those is um, being a self-learner. And I think both for you, Bruce, and for myself, our stories show that we've been self-learners. We've been practitioners of this thing called life, right? Yes, absolutely. Reading books, talking to people, and just learning. I mean, that is huge. Uh, My dad's 72, and he's still building websites. Like, he Mm. taught himself how to do it. It's amazing. I mean, it's great to keep learning. It makes you feel alive. Number two, developing network of relationships. All these people that I've talked to said they are where they are because of the the depth of the relationships they've created. So I built an ebook 
that I want to present to you, the listener, that is called Networking with Effectiveness and Credibility. Because many of us feel intimidated by connecting with other people, this book has you in mind. If you feel like you're an introvert, like the 65% of Americans um, that believe that they are, this book goes through the highly practical elements of engaging other people, how to do that, and more importantly, how to follow up. But the biggest underscoring element to it is how to add value to other people, in which case I think introverts are far more wired to developing powerful relationships than extroverts ever will be. So that book I'll make available to you. You can find that at angusnelson.com forward slash mindfulness mode. And we'll just make that one word, mindfulness mode. Thank you, Angus, for that. And it's been just great talking with you today. I wish you all the best and look forward to connecting with you again. My pleasure, Bruce. Thank you. Thanks. Bye now. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.